Hello, and welcome to the Webtoon Room. I'm Will. And I'm Crudy. And today, we're here to, once again, recap Purple Hyacinth from episodes 82 to 85. These were an interesting set of episodes. Well, some very, very interesting, very funny um, episodes, and then other more somber ones. And I think we've got a lot to say. We definitely do. So let's get on with the usual and roll the intro music. Episode 82 opens up with Lauren flashing back to around a year ago after her outburst with Sake in the interrogation room. And Lauren is not doing well. She's got her head in her hands. She knows that she messed up. She lost her authority to make a change because she lost her temper. And she asks herself, why does this rage take over me so easily? And it's an interesting question because we've talked about this before, but Lauren has a bit of a short fuse. When someone kind of pokes her in the right place, you know, sets her off, like, it it really doesn't take much to set her off, is what I'm trying to say here. Lauren has a bit of a short fuse, and it's interesting that she's so aware of that. But anyway, she goes to visit Maria Chow's prison cell, where Maria is just begging her to help her because she doesn't want her daughter to be out alone in the world. And Lauren promises her that she'll do her best to help her. Back in the present day, after Kieran's detective comment, we see March, Lauren, and Herman discussing the Chow case, and this is after they've just talked to the elderly witness, and her story tracks. March thinks it fits. Herman, however, is not as convinced. He argues that it's just one witness's story against existing evidence, and that they've got a killer already behind bars. He asks how they plan to prove the case, and Lauren presents the binder of cases that Sake has been involved in. We know that he has a bit of a history. Yeah, and this is where Herman gets to show off a little bit more of himself and how he's a bit of a jerk. He still, even in this moment, goes after Lauren a little bit. Yeah, he's like, what the hell is this, Sinclair? Last time I checked, you were still on suspension. And I mean, he does have a point. She's a suspect in the man's murder, but it still feels a bit more personal than that. He does ask, you know, why are you presenting more evidence? And it kind of evolves into a back and forth about ethics. Lauren has this perspective that it is our duty to uphold justice in the city. Herman, however, makes the point that you can't redefine justice and bend the rules however you want. Yeah, and that's going to be a reoccurring theme throughout all these next couple episodes, and this one too, where the nature of justice is questioned, and people all have their own different takes and different beliefs on their own moral compasses about what is and on how do we administer and upkeep justice. Definitely. And March is kind of in the middle. He's sort of a mediating presence between the two of them. He recognizes that Lauren's hypothesis has never been completely improbable. And now they've got a little more evidence, they can reinvestigate and they can reexamine the previous investigation to see if there was in fact a different outcome, the one that Lauren proposed. So Herman, at the end of the day, he determines that March and Cooper can pursue the case, with Lauren on as a consultant only. After Herman leaves the room, Lauren and March are just kind of like, whew, they're sort of decompressing from that interaction. 
And Lauren thanks March for sticking up for her. And it's really nice, you know? Lauren, we've seen her be viewed by so much suspicion, and she doesn't always have the best workplace relationships, and we've seen her be targeted by Herman as well. So it is really nice to see people in the precinct support Lauren and stand up for her and kind of look out for her. And we know March has done that in the past. We've seen him do that. So it's really nice to see this relationship between the two of them. And he asks her if she's coming out to the work New Year's party. And she said, oh, she's probably not going to come because of Herman. And he's like, no, 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 you should come. What are you talking about? And so at the end of the episode, that's where we see her. We end with Lauren and she's kind of, you know, she's got a lot on her mind. And we'll talk about all this, the words of the fortune teller, as well as some of the other things that are on her mind, like Dylan and her parents. But the gang converges on her and we see Kieran joining in as well. And they all go to the SE bar, which is so enough for the work holiday party. That's where we end the episode. Yeah, this was an interesting episode because it also highlighted a couple things about where some of the characters' moral compasses are. We know that Herman is, if you guys know this one, a little lawful stupid. He's not very flexible in his view of the law and his own moral code, and so everything that doesn't fit in it must be discarded immediately and berated, you know, like Lauren. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Grudy? That was something that stood out to me in this episode as well. And I like that we're going into these things, that we're exploring some of the nuances behind the moral compasses of these characters and where they kind of lie on this trajectory of morality. Herman, you're totally right. He is definitely lawful stupid. And we've kind of established that he's a jerk to Lorne in a lot of ways. But it is clear that his clashes with her go beyond his personal beef. His approach to justice is just fundamentally different, you know, and this rings true for all three of these characters. It reflects in his position in the precinct. He's the captain of the Ardalis Police Department, and so he's in a position of leadership and has to inherently uphold these rules and structures that the police operate under. We see this in what he said earlier. You can't redefine justice and bend the rules however you want. He is the arbiter of those rules in this case. March's views of justice and what is right and wrong, although he operates under those same rules that Herman does, is more flexible because he knows that the system is imperfect. He also recognizes that there's a sort of real-life aspect to justice in that it has to be flexible to meet the needs of everyday life. You can't just follow everything by the book. He has that common sense about him that realizes this. Yeah, and he also knows that the system doesn't work for everyone. In fact, it is often very unfair to a lot of different people. And we see this in his conversation in episode 60 with Kim and Will when they're talking about finding Loon in the precinct. He doesn't blame someone for going around the system. Like He recognizes this as kind of a gray zone. It's not completely right and not completely wrong. And he does have that, you're right, compassion, common sense, and empathy too. But his answer to this, because he still operates within the system, is to work with the system and work within the system to make sure that it works for the right people and that the right people are helped and that the correct people are punished. And that's kind of his way of operating in this world, helping as many people as he can within the confines of the system that he's forced to work under. 
And we've touched a lot on Lauren's sense of justice in that it is very flexible. It's a get it done no matter what. I want the right people put away. I want the liars put away. I want people who I think have wronged others put away. And it's a very selfish take, but also a very righteous one. It is. She does have a, I think righteousness is a really good word, actually. I was about to say that she has a really strong sense of justice and what is right and wrong, but I think she has a little bit of that righteousness in her. And I think a lot of that, it's interesting because we talk about her being and having a lot of flexibility in terms of meeting out justice, but I actually think her views on justice itself are a little bit more rigid. They're a little more inflexible. At least when we meet her, I think her viewpoint has slowly started to open up throughout her interactions with Kieran and just her activities as Loon. But she started out kind of black and white. She was definitely more idealistic. And I don't know, it's, it's just interesting to see the change that she's gone through because the more she learns, the more she questions herself and her own line of thinking. Yeah, she's always been flexible working outside the system, even before meeting Kieran. It's not unlike her. It's not, but teaming up with him was definitely a watershed moment. And like, you know, we just mentioned, she's been questioning herself a lot in terms of just the rigidity of her line of thinking before this. That team up did a lot for her, and it's interesting to see where she'll go from here. Especially now, because moving on to episode 83, we've got the work holiday party with the fake dating coworkers. Yeah, and we know pretty much right from the beginning that this is going to be a good episode what with the episode 83 <laughs> and the drunken upside down purple hyacinth uh yeah it's this one was going to be a funny one but anyway we're inside the SNE bar and the gang is all here which is kind of cool cuz we don't normally see the entire ensemble together in an episode like this usually yeah it's been a while since we've had the entire ensemble together on screen they're not in the office but we do get some shenanigans between them obviously people are drinking they're out to party a little bit so they're a little bit looser they're having more fun and you know us the readers we definitely are having fun with this one too it's weird because i think this episode is one of those that is actually better experienced than any recap that we could give you but we're gonna try we're gonna do our best we open this episode with Kim, <laughs> just, I don't know. I don't have words to describe Kim. She's just a drinking monster. Uh, Lucas is probably having the most fun that I have ever seen him have. He is egging Kim on, and he's got the blackmail camera ready. Lorne is kind of chilling. She's that friend who's just like, she's just super chill, you know, just low key. And Will is having a heart attack over Kim, as expected but funny nevertheless. Yeah, funny for sure. That doesn't mean there aren't any quiet character moments. There are actually some pretty juicy ones between Kieran and Lauren and Kim and Will. Definitely, and some of those happen when we pan to Kieran, who is sitting off at another table chatting with other people. And we learn a couple things about him, which is kind of cool. He was abroad for a while, and that's kind of confirmed. It tracks with the purple hyacinth not being active in the last year, and he's only come back recently before the events of purple hyacinth, the webtoon, started. So it all makes sense, and 
I don't know. That leaves up questions of where was he, what was he up to. I'm sure we'll get to those at a later time. And this just kind of opens up for that. Two, he likes how calm and simple the precinct is. And the main thing that we got from this is that Kieran just wants a normal life. This is not news, by the way. This is something that we've picked up in other places. This is something that has been set up before. But this is the first time Lauren is hearing this hearing it directly from him in this really sincere way. The third thing is that he's used a gun before. We've seen the gun versus blades argument come up between him and Belladonna. It's not really an argument. It's just, you know, difference of philosophy, I suppose you could say. But this makes it pretty clear that he's used a gun before. It's not for lack of ability or lack of exposure. He's not particularly scared of shooting or getting shot. There's another reason why he's made a conscious choice to use a sword. Yeah, this is another moment where Purple Hyacinth, the webtoon, not the person, does a really good job of just sprinkling in that little, little bit of mystery about our character, our boy here in white, and how we really, really do want to know this. Yeah, he's a mystery, and every little tidbit that we get about him, we're just like, it's like we're chipmunks, I don't know, or do hamsters do this? I don't know, some kind of animal that just stores food in its cheek for like a later time. We're like that, but with like tidbits of information, we're just storing things away until we can use them later. But uh, moving on to the last point, Kieran doesn't have a lot of friends. We kind of expected this. It makes sense that he's kind of lonely and isolated, but yeah, it did. Ugh, I don't know if you felt like this, Will, but just that moment where he lied about, I have a lot of friends that I can introduce them to, you know? Um, about the women who are all interested in him that he's not interested in. That kind of broke my heart a little bit. I was like, oh, buddy. It's definitely a little bit too relatable. Yeah, Will and I don't have friends. We just we just have each other. We're the only person each other knows. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Moving on. We don't talk about this part. Cut the tape. Cut the tape. <laughs> um, yes, but moving on with the episode. While this is happening, while Lauren is chilling underneath the table, she's building a cup tower with all the cups that (laughs) Kim is knocking over, and Kieran is answering questions and just getting to know his coworkers in the other booth, Will is trying, operative word being trying, to sober Kim up, and as you can probably expect, it does not work. Yeah... The woman is standing on the table shouting, I have to make everyone's life miserable. She is not ready to sober up. No, she is not. Kim then goes and does that thing that, knowing Kim, she probably won't regret, but most people would regret if they remember themselves doing it. She, uh, (laughs) jumps in to rescue Kieran from a group of women who are... They're not even doing anything. They're just near the booth. And Kim's drunken brain is like, danger alert, danger alert. My girl's man is getting poached on. (laughs) Yeah, so a sane person, uh, a sane, possibly sober person, even a sane drunk person would be like, okay, actually, I don't know what a sane drunk person would do, but they're not Kim. Kim is not a sane drunk person. She jumps over (laughs) to the table, physically plants a leg. To lay claim to Kieran, so to speak, and everyone is just like Pikachu surprise face, and Lucas has got his camera out, ready to capture the whole thing. It's a great comedic moment. 
Kim goes, oh, uh, 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 I, uh, Kieran, Kieran's taken, uh, and she doesn't want to out Lauren, so she says that, uh, yeah, no, he, uh, Kieran's mine, back off. <laughs> I'm sorry, this one got me. Um, not so much, like, the Kim moments, but Kieran's reaction to this is amazing, because we rarely see him just, like, fully like flustered or discombobulated but he's completely undone his panicked laughter is probably one of my favorite moments of the episode it's great kieran's very much feeling the spotlight kieran ends up eventually escaping um in the background and he's being chased by the other women while it happens which is is really funny it's kind of in the background it's not really like super in front of the scene but that really gave me a big laugh and lucas being lucas has captured all of this utter chaos on film uh kim later comes in with payback of her own she goads him a little bit by telling him that lila's into him which she is and she tries to get him to make a move by demonstrating how easy it is to kiss somebody another moment for the kaiwi shippers it's true we get that panel of their faces super close together and it's obviously very awkward for both of them but seems like lauren ships it so we got one in the bank for Kaiwi, I guess. Yeah, awkward for them, for everyone else. Maybe a little bit steamy. <laughs> Definitely juicy. But we transition from that over to Dance O'Clock with Kim and Lauren. And we see Kieran watching in the distance. This visual makes a lot of sense. He's a loner. He's removed from the group. He doesn't truly fit in and he feels that some of it's internal some of it is external but for whatever reason he doesn't feel like he truly fits in but he is watching Lauren and he sees her having a good time and it makes him smile he cares about her but just as he does that he remembers his promise to her that he won't interact with her or her co-workers outside of work hours and so he turns to leave and Lauren notices and she follows him out. And she asks him, hey, where are you going? Valid question. Where are you going, Kieran? Um, no, this episode was very, was very fun. I think it was just, it was chaotic in all the good ways and really funny. And frankly, we needed the levity. We got to see some interesting things. Most importantly, I don't know about you, but some of the most impactful moments in this episode, especially the OTP or couple moments, they were the small ones. They were. And this is one thing that Purple Hyacinth does really well, is have really small character moments that are really significant. And this episode was no exception. They just hit so well, sometimes even better than the bigger moments do. Like when we heard Lorne listening to Kieran talk about himself, especially hearing him say that he wants a simple and calm life. Their little moment when she peeks out onto the table to grab the cups right after someone asks if he's single. It's, it's just these little moments, you know, and when the boys smile at their girls, Will, when Kim is sort of falling asleep in his arms and he kind of just has this little, it's just this quiet little moment. Uh, Kieran, when he is watching Lauren have a good time, probably one of the few times that she has a good time in this webtoon, um, and he smiles. These are the moments that hit. And these moments don't stop at this episode. Episode 84 opens with a lot of these quiet moments. We pick up right where we left off. Lauren is asking Kieran, where are you going? And 
Kieran sort of deflects, as is his habit. We've seen him do this many times before, but he doesn't really try that hard. They both know that he's leaving because of her. It's no secret, and Lauren doesn't need a lie detector to figure that one out. No, and she sort of prods a little bit. She's like, isn't that rude to do to your coworkers? And it kind of opens something in him. He says, I don't belong here. His connection to these coworkers that he's supposedly on good terms with, it isn't real. And he, he's basically verbalizing what we've already known from the last episode and even before that, what we've known about him all along. He's lonely and he's isolated. He can't really have true friends. He's a freaking assassin. And he doesn't belong. And Lauren, I mean, you can tell this sort of just hits her because we've seen in the last episode how close she, Kim, and Will are. And their friendship is strong. And I think that this is probably a moment when she's realizing how isolated he is. Yeah, and it's clear that Lauren empathizes with Kieran with this feeling of feeling not just that he doesn't belong, but that he can't belong. Why do you think she relates so hard? Or why do you think she um, empathizes so strongly with that? This is just a hunch. Even though Lauren has friends and people she's friendly with in the police department, after her involvement with the Sake case, I think she felt this way. And that's why I say I think she understands what Kieran is going through. I think that makes a lot of sense. And we know Lauren has a big heart. She does care about a lot of people. And she does care about Kieran. It's pretty clear in this episode. She reaches out to him and she says, Kieran, you don't have to go because of me. I know you. You won't do anything. That's big coming from her. Like, this is a moment, you know, saying, like, I trust you, basically. Yeah, this was big. This is the most intimate talk they've had in a very long time. Think since they got locked in the closet together is probably the last time they've had a small moment like this. But this moment ran deeper than that. It was very clear that this was the next step in their deepening bond. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point about the closet. Because to me, I read the closet as being like Kieran's move to make. And he made it. This was Lauren's move to make. And she made it. She made her overture. And you're right. I think that this sets them up for even more intimacy and vulnerability later on because they haven't talked really in a vulnerable way about 43 yet. No, they haven't. And it definitely seems like they're more in a place now that they can. But there's also the lingering dread of the fortune that's still overhanging. What is the betrayal? Is this one of those juicy drama moments where it's set up for the main characters to get closer and closer, only for something to happen? I'm not sure. What do you think? I don't think so. And I know we're skipping around a lot in this episode. We haven't really touched on any of the specific moments. But later on in the episode, I think she just makes a decision. She comes to a decision that she's going to trust him. She opens up in a way that she didn't before, which is exactly what she did in the beginning of this episode when she tells him, and she didn't need to tell him this, she didn't need to thank him for helping her with Chow's case, but that's something that she's been feeling. And I think that her gratitude to him ran really deep in that moment when he said that he would help her. And so she thanks him, 
And to me, this moment is really significant because it's not a response to something Kieran is doing, which is what her telling him that he didn't have to leave was. That was a response to something that he was doing out of respect for her and his promise to her. This is an overture that she made of her own will. She didn't have to do this, but she did it. She chose to express that to him. And yeah, this episode is full of intimate moments between them, and it's meaningful. And he ends up kind of accepting her invitation and coming back in. At this point, the festivities haven't quite stopped yet. There's a drinking game announced, and people all get roped in for it. Yeah, Lauren volunteers Kieran, and Kim volunteers Will. Uh, and neither men can really handle their liquor, so they end up having to go on stage to sing a karaoke duet. Everyone's having a good time, including Lauren, but she does keep flashing back to all the things that are still plaguing her, all of her worries. Yeah, they all just start swirling back up into her mind and onto the pages. But she shoves them down because tonight is not the night for that. As the night ends, though, everyone is heading out at the end of the night, including Lila and Lucas, which is adorable. Kieran and Lauren are watching Will, and I believe her name is Grace, haul a very drunk Kim out of the bar. Their mood is wistful, kind of nostalgic, and they talk about the first time they met. Kieran says, Kim is just as crazy as the first day I met you, which is kind of notable to me, because normally you'd say, Kim is just as crazy as the first day I met her, but Kieran says the first day I met you. It's interesting to me because he's framing it through Lauren's lens. He's thinking of Lauren first, and it shows, it signifies that that's how Kieran remembers that day the day he met her, that that's why it's significant. And he follows up by saying, I think meeting you lying on the floor catching cups would have been better than how they actually first met, which is, you know, Lauren was chasing him, all that, you know, foot in his face, yada yada. But I think it's pretty clear that, I don't know if it's a conscious wish, but he does on some level wish that he'd met her under different circumstances. I think he would have really liked her. They might have really liked each other. They definitely could have been friends without any of the current drama. Although we love the current drama. That's why we have story. But it would have made for a happier life experience for both of them, probably. And I kind of think he wishes that. It makes sense because, you know, we all know that Kieran just wants a normal life. I think he would have wanted a normal life. But this is unfortunately the one that he has to live and I think that wish of meeting her under different circumstances, meeting as two normal people, I think that's a part of that. Yeah, I would say it's a big part of it. We've known this about Kieran for a while. Hearing him saying it out loud, though, to Lauren is a big deal, and it does change things. And it lingers with her through their walk home. It does. Lauren, and this has been on our mind all night, the fortune, what's going to happen, who's going to betray her. And she thinks about Kieran and his promise to her, her, his apology, and the way that he sincerely has been helping her. And she comes to a decision. Kieran isn't the one who will betray her. And so she decides to share her secrets, things that she hasn't shared openly before, things that, if you remember from season one, fell under the category of too personal for them to share with each other even though they were partners in crime. Remember, Crudy, the deal is off. 
I know, I know. The deal is off, and yet the subordinate nickname is back. Who says they can't have a new deal, though? I know, I know. And that's what makes this so exciting is because like, we can see their rapport forming again. And now they're back together because they want to be, not because they're tied by obligation. Although, of course, they're still going to investigate that bombing, the nitroglycerin, but that bond is forming again. They're forging that bond again. It's just, ugh, it's so juicy. It's so good to see. But anyway, Angela's photograph, she decides to finally share what happened because even Kieran has been wondering that all this time. She tells him that Sake was in her parents' car and she freaked out because he was with her parents' driver in their family car, meaning that their driver was part of Phantom Scythe. And the three of them, along with Robin Delaney, kidnapped some children. And her heart is thumping, beating out of her chest as she asks him, what happened to them? And Kieran responds and he says, ah, the kidnapped children. The tale is known within the Phantom Scythe. They're dead. Mic drop. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. <sighs> Reactions. Tell me what you think, man. First reaction. Holy smokes. It is known within Phantom Scythe. That is a loaded statement right there. Oh, okay, yeah. What do you think that means? What does that even mean? It could mean a bunch of different things. My first guess is that they use it as like a cautionary tale, or it's those rumors that if you're within the organization you hear about to kind of keep you in line or keep you on your toes even. I'm not sure. It wouldn't also be too out of character for this to just be that rumor that makes everything more shadowy mm -hmm. just adds that layer of intrigue or mystery yeah potentially i i don't know i mean it could be your instinct about this being a cautionary tale that sounds so foreboding it just makes me wonder what happened to these kids like why did they kidnap them what did they use them for i mean so that's an ominous way of saying that what i really mean is like what purpose did they serve i don't know and I don't know if this struck you, but something about the way Kieran was talking about this also felt a little off. Like, it threw me a little bit off. I think it was just how bold the text was. It was bolded. It was emphasized. And yet he wasn't lying. It could have been one of those moments that doesn't trip off Lauren's lie detector in that he believes what he's saying. So, for example, if the kids were brainwashed into thinking their old identities are dead and wink, wink, he's one of them. So when he says, you know, they're all dead, he believes it's true. His old self is dead, if he was one of these kids. And therefore, you know, it rings true. That was kind of where my mind went a little bit. I don't know if that scenario is the accurate one, but him believing this genuinely or sincerely and it not being the actual truth struck me as a very real possibility. We also didn't see his face throughout the conversation. So we don't really know what his facial reaction was to all of this. Yeah, and whenever there's anything big for Kieran or shameful, he turns his face. We don't see his face. That's a, that's a reoccurring theme that happens in all of these scenes. So it's really interesting that it showed up here. Potentially a clue? I have no idea. We'll have to see more, I guess. But I should ask you, what is your personal theory or thought? Do you believe that these children are dead? Something, 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 no body, no death, something, something, something. We haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> the I'm usual, right? I know, I know, right? 
No, truly, it's it's the usual. That's exactly what I actually have written in my notes. No body, no death. And that's kind of what I keep coming back to. Unless um, we see a person die, we don't know anything. We can't trust that any information we have is true. And we all know that Kieran is a little bit of an unreliable narrator. So how much can we really trust his words? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either, but... Lauren certainly seems to have made her decision in this episode to trust him. I think that's a huge step. At least that's how I interpreted it. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. But to me, the events of this episode and their dynamic and everything that happened and what they talked about, I think she's made a decision to trust him, which is a big deal. It's definitely a conscious decision. But mixed in there is a bit of Lauren's intuition. Some of that trust is just unspoken. I don't think it even could be verbalized, but their bond has changed to the point where she can trust him. And that's kind of intangible. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a really great way of putting it. Their bond and their relationship has always been nebulous just by the nature of who they are and what they do. And I think that's what you're speaking to a little bit. Overall, this episode had a lot of meaningful moments. And even just lighthearted moments as well. And we saw it from the last episode, 83. It's hilarious. It's funny. We all need that levity, that lightheartedness sometimes. But I think we also know that this is not a permanent state of being. Purple Hyacinth is not a happy-go-lucky type webtoon. We know that from the beginning. But it's also set in the music, the characters. Lauren cannot forget, no matter how much fun she's having, her problems, the worries that are on her mind, and even the music, the mournful track in the background, even behind some of these really lighthearted moments, the drinking competition, Will not being able to hold his alcohol, you know, all the things like that. We feel it. They feel it. But we find solace in the renewed connections. And that's kind of what I'm taking away from this episode, this renewed connection between Lauren and Kieran. It's for sure the big highlight of this episode. It is, but Lauren has got much more on her mind now than just Kieran. She has to deal with the fact that Dylan is gone. And that's where we open up with episode 85. Lauren is at the cemetery with March accompanying her. Yep, and Lauren goes over to Dylan's grave. It's here that she reminisces a bit on some of the leftover feelings from that time. She thinks about how they buried an empty casket and that she didn't really get to say goodbye. It's a really sad moment, but Lauren was thinking at the time kind of exactly the things that we've been thinking, which is no body, no death, is essentially what it comes down to. It, it's not a funny moment, but this did give me a little bit of a chuckle. But it is heartbreaking to hear her internal thought process, how a part of her didn't really get to say goodbye because he wasn't in there. And if he wasn't there, he could be somewhere else. She thinks back to Kieran's words, even if you were one of them, you'd be gone by now. And we see this loneliness overcome her, this helplessness overcome her. And it's throughout this episode, she thinks to herself, everyone's gone. And then she moves on to her parents. She thinks of the leader, the fandom scythe vendetta, how there are so many victims because of this vendetta, because of the kingdom's lack of care for its people. And... She's processing these questions that she hasn't had a chance to process until now. Were her parents responsible for this? Is she going to hold them responsible for this? And 
she arrives at their grave and answers to herself whether or not they wanted to quit. They were guilty. This is a really, really heavy moment for her. She starts to unpack some of the trauma, and she also sifts through her memories, trying to look for lies, and she has to grapple with the fact that she will not know the truth at this point. Yeah, and this is a source of frustration for her, and I understand because this is something that she's run into before. All of the answers that she's found have just led to more questions, and none of the answers to those questions have also led to easy solutions. Speaking of the conversation that she has with Kieran, the morality of the current system, the cops are battling the Phantom Scythe, but the Phantom Scythe was created by the system that the cops uphold, and it's all an endless cycle. There's no black and white answer, which speaks to Lauren's questioning of some of the values that she used to uphold. She was probably a little naive. In fact, in some ways very naive when she started out her mission and her eyes have been opened up and she feels a little helpless thinking about how she can help and what she can do to make a difference. And this is where March comes in. As we mentioned earlier, March has a bit of common sense about him and he does understand the flaws in the system and he still wants to work within them. And ultimately, he says to Lauren that it comes down to one's personal convictions and how strongly you'll hold them and where you choose to draw the line. Absolutely. And something that stood out to me about March and what he was saying, too, is about fighting and choosing where and when to fight. Because March, even as he recognizes things wrong in the current system, he chooses to fight within it anyway because he knows that there are good people trapped up in it, and I think that's where he chooses to make his fight. To do good by the people that he can, and to try and make the system work for the people who are caught up in it unfairly. Because if he doesn't do it, who would? And that's something that he asked Lauren later. If you stop fighting now, will you ever end up regretting it? And I think if March stopped fighting, and didn't fight the way that he did now, he would end up regretting it. And I love this phrase that he brings up to Lauren where he talks about fighting even when you face opposition, even if you're the only one standing. That's what he is doing. He is going to work within the system to make this justice work for the people who deserve it. At the very least, his version of justice. Mm-hmm. And I think this is exactly what Lauren kind of needed to hear because... She's not the only person who has faced immense personal tragedy. March has lost people really important to him, really close to him in his life. He lost his daughter when she was young, only six years old, to an illness, and his wife was murdered by criminals. It's unfair, and both of them became detectives to restore balance, but to March, the people he loves are still here. They're still helping him fight, and it is for them that he fights for what they have given him and what they should have been given and deserved in his life. And I think that is something that's strongly propelling him. And Lauren needed that in some way, to be challenged and uplifted in this way. What is she going to do to honor Dylan, to honor the people that she's lost, the people that she's loved and lost? And how is she going to fight to make things better? And what choices is she going to make? That, we'll have to see. It's heartwarming, though, because Lauren makes a decision 
She's been feeling helpless and kind of in despair all episode. It makes sense because this is the first time, really, that she's been able to process all of these thoughts and this trauma, these revelations that she's come across. But hearing March and hearing his conviction, his determination, and his hope in the face of his own tragedy, she makes a promise to Dylan that even if she doesn't know what to believe anymore, she will never stop fighting for him. And to me, this is one of the most powerful moments. This entire episode was so powerful, but I love that this is where she's come to after 10 years of mourning and not being able to forget. Yeah, this journey for her has been deeply personal, and it's been really satisfying to see it start to come full circle. And one thing we should touch on too is that we get a better glimpse into Lauren's and Detective March's almost father-daughter-like relationship. Yeah, he has always kind of looked out for her, and we've seen him do that on a couple of occasions. But I like that this episode really went in deeper onto their relationship and kind of spotlighted the relationship that they must have shared when they worked together. Lauren was one of his most promising recruits, after all, and how he must have kind of mentored her in some way. And I think we can see that here. She's in a moment where she's at kind of a low, probably one of the lowest places she's been in for a while. And his words, talking about justice and also just his hope, I think we mentioned before, in the face of his own tragedy, it speaks to Lauren, she relates to it, and it's what she needs. It's what she needed in this moment. And I love that these two share this kind of connection. And also, something that probably helps is that March has known her for a long time now, so he's seen her grow up, he's seen her kind of evolve as a person, and for him to believe in her the way he does, especially after she mentions so many people in her life telling her to forget things or let things go, that it was too late to do anything about it, that there wasn't anything she could do about it, or that no one would believe her, for him to come out as someone who knows her, that has been one of those people that has known her for a while, to say... There are causes worth defending, even if you're the last one standing. And essentially saying that she has it in her to stand up and fight for what she believes in. I think that's what she needed more than anything. And I'm so glad that he was the person that said this to her. Me too. And you can tell it's a pretty impactful moment for her too, because she definitely takes it in stride. We can see it in the visuals in the episode. It was cloudy and rainy before, but when she talks, to March, the sun comes out. It starts shining. She has clarity. Will is <laughs> making faces, but yeah, I mean, you know, the visuals are there. It's shown, it's depicted, it's really clear. Lauren's emotional journey in this episode. And it's a fantastic one. It's lovely. I'm so, it's so cool that we got an episode like this where we're inside Lauren's head and she's thinking about Dylan and all of the other things that have happened because I think she needed something like this. A much-needed moment, indeed. We're then presented with the cliffhanger of these sets of episodes, where we finally, finally get to the New Year's party. Lauren's in her dress. We see Duckon. We see Stefan Hawks. A lot of potential for interesting things to happen in this new arc. We'll just have to see what transpires. It'll be very, very exciting for sure. What are your main takeaways for these last couple episodes, Grudy? I hate to do this because we just had a really beautiful, meaningful episode resolving a lot of Lauren's emotions around this, but I have a feeling more than ever, 
that Dylan is alive. I really, I really think so. I think that arc with Lauren's despair and helplessness was necessary. But man, I just can't help but have this feeling. Just tell me your thoughts before we go too deep into this. Oh, we can go right into it. <laughs> no body, no death. I'm in the exact same camp. A big part of me just feels like we wouldn't have had this kind of episode if he was gone. The fact that we got this kind of episode with Lauren having to come to grips with his death and having to resolve that. I don't know that we would have gotten that kind of episode, or at least in this way, it would have been handled differently. And remember the ending line of this episode, episode 85, is still, I wish you were by my side guiding me. I think he's going to be alive. I think he's still alive. Yeah, I'm not 100% convinced either way yet, but I, I'm definitely with you though, Curdy, for now. Yeah, you know what? And that's a good point. I'm not necessarily 100% convinced either. I do know that we'll probably be emotionally jerked back and forth at least a couple more times. Dylan is dead. Dylan is alive. <laughs> we don't know what the truth is. But we're going to be sad either way. Um, somehow, we're just going to be sad. And that's the only guarantee about Purple Hyacinth that we have. But I do believe that this is setting up for Lauren to have some sort of emotional reckoning or have more trauma, I guess, is the best way of saying it, over Dylan in, in the future. Whether or not he actually turns out to be alive, I don't know. Maybe she'll have an emotional showdown of sorts. We'll see. Yeah, I have no idea. But either way... Based on just this latest arc of episodes, I just have a feeling that Dylan is alive. That is my prevailing feeling, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Nope, definitely, definitely not. I am glad, though, that in these episodes, we got so many good, quiet character moments. I keep saying this over and over. I think these are the strongest parts of Purple Hyacinth. It just makes all the characters feel so alive and the world so lived in. Yes, it just fills them out so beautifully. Tell me some of your favorite moments, the ones that really stood out to you. The biggest one for me was, and I think this one is yours too, Gertie, the moment where Lauren tells Kieran that he can stay and where she puts a little bit of trust into Kieran. Yeah, that one got me. That, you know, out of all of the moments, all of the great moments in the last few episodes, that is the moment. That's a scene that I kept coming back to, that I kept reading back to, and just, ugh, like, it hit me so good. So, yeah, that is a great moment. I love that moment. And Lauren and Kieran have mended a lot. They have grown a lot since the premiere. We've seen their relationship develop a lot, and we've seen Kieran apologize and make overtures towards Lauren, and Lauren has now made overtures towards him, but they still haven't directly addressed 43 yet it makes sense they were not in a position to do that but the amount of intimacy that they're sharing and the amount of vulnerability lauren is opening up to him it makes me think that they're slowly in a better position to do that i don't know if that's gonna happen soon i actually don't think it's gonna happen soon i think it's probably gonna take a little bit longer before they actually address what happened in 43 in a real and vulnerable way but i think this was an important step yeah it was Overall, I'd say a good set of episodes. What about you, Will? Yeah, pretty darn good set.
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Webtoon Room. We always love recapping Purple Hyacinth, and we're just going to keep doing it. So if you like what you heard today, stick around, check out our old recaps that we've done, and check us out on social media. We're at the Webtoon Room. That's where you can find us in all the places, Twitter, Instagram, or also on email. Eh, I should say we have an email, thewebtoonroom at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. As Will said, Purple Hyacinth is genuinely so fun for us to talk about. There's so many twists and turns and just endless theories and thoughts as to what may or may not be happening in this crazy world of Ardalis. So we're glad to have you all for the ride and we hope to have you keep listening with us. We'll see you in our next episode. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thank you.